Greetings, greenhouse people. Today we're celebrating a birthday. And no, I'm not going to sing. I will spare you that. But we are talking about a lot of plants, industry evolution, leadership, milestones, and a whole lot more. This is going to be a two-part episode, and that means you get to hear this intro twice. If you're like me, learning the backstory of successful and iconic companies is always interesting and gives insight into the business and industry as a whole. Companies that survive and thrive for decades are nimble enough to maneuver trends and fads, but consistent and focused enough to chart a thoughtful and successful course amidst constant change. This is certainly the case with Pan American Seed, who's celebrating a 75th anniversary and making innovative moves to grow for decades to come. This is an action-packed episode of the Tech On Demand podcast brought to you by Grower Talks, where our goal is always to bring you tips, tricks, and information to produce your best crop ever and make product decisions to improve your quality and bottom line. Be sure to subscribe to the Tech On Demand podcast on your favorite podcast app like iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Odyssey, and more so you'll never miss an episode. In part one of this podcast, the topics at hand include industry history, corporate leadership, overcoming horticultural obstacles, and the importance of reliability. Those might sound pretty broad, but these dynamics are super critical when applied to the horticultural industry. They're topics that impact us all. And there will be plenty of personal stories mixed in, making this one of the most interesting podcasts I've had the pleasure of hosting. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and I'm very excited to be joined by Ann Leventry, the president of Pan American Seed. Ann's a member of the Ball Executive Committee and the Board of Directors, and as I said, the president of Pan American Seed Company, the seed breeding and product division of Ball that has the industry-leading market share for ornamental plants worldwide. Ann's been with Ball since 1987, and as you'll hear in this podcast, has seen a lot of changes, industry growth, and various trends. Interestingly, she started her career in the mental health profession and worked in several public mental health institutions in Pennsylvania before joining Ball as a human resource specialist, holding different positions in HR, until becoming Managing Director of European Operations and now President of Pan American Seed. She received a BS in Psychology from the University of Pittsburgh and an MA in Clinical Psychology from Indiana University of Pennsylvania and an MA in Industrial Relations from St. Francis University. Anne's married and lives in Naperville, Illinois. She loves to travel and learn about other cultures and the nature and wildlife in other parts of the world. She's also a board member of Metropolitan Family Services of DuPage County and a board member of the Chicago Botanic Garden. And welcome to the Tech on Demand podcast. Hi, Bill. Very nice to be here. For sure. And it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Anne, and, and also to have worked with you at Ball for, I guess, more than 15 years that, that I've been there. And, and throughout those years, I've, I've always admired your leadership and your sense of strategy when it comes to uh, new products and business. And it's really, uh, it's it's going to be a pleasure to, to do this podcast. And Really, since I have you trapped on a podcast recording, there is something I do want to know before we get into the topic, um, and that's how exactly did you get started in horticulture? It's a it's a question I like to ask people 
um, frequently there, it's not a, it's kind of a roundabout path or the answer kind of comes as a surprise. So, uh, so how'd you get started in horticulture? Yeah, well, thanks for the introduction, Bill. Um, and I also just want to say before we begin that it's been a pleasure for me to know and work with you all these years as well. You've had different roles in the company and it's been nice to see you move around and try different things. So, um, yes, I also have a, a a weird kind of pathway to get into the industry and to get into my current job. Um I started out whenever I was in high school, I wanted to be a psychologist. I just had my mind made up and I went to school and I got a, a bachelor's degree in psychology. I um, then went on and got a master's degree in it. So I was very committed to it. And I actually worked in the field for five years in two different cities, in two different uh, you know, places of work. And I just found that it wasn't for me. It was just not a good fit for me for a variety of reasons. And right around that time, my husband was transferred to the Chicago area. And I was very eager to come because I thought it's a pretty big job market. And I decided to look for something in human resources, thinking, well, that would combine my interest in people. And then, you know, I had also decided to go back to school and got a degree in industrial relations, sort of business management. I thought it might be a good combination of those two things. And so I, I actually was hired at Ball um, in human resources, and I worked a whole variety of roles for about 10 years in different roles uh, in human resources. And um for part of that time, I was the human resource manager of Pan American Seed. And um, so I got to really know the company very well and a lot of our locations and and people. And I really loved that company. I really love, you know, what we do and, and just uh, the nature of the breeding and the production. And um, so I after about 10 years, I had the opportunity to move into more of a general management role. And I've been in this role ever since. So um, yeah, it's been a really good journey. And I feel very fortunate that I had the opportunity to do it. That's really interesting. You you started on the people side and then moved into the plant side. I think in our industry, you hear the opposite a lot. And you know, I frequently make the joke that plant people aren't always people people. Um, but that's really neat that, that you started on the, on the, on the human resources side, and then I'm sure have taken a lot of those skills into management of a company like Pan American Seed, which is full of people doing important things with plants. So, um, that, that, that's really interesting. I, 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 lo I love that story. And, um, I think that'll lead well into our discussion about the evolution of, Pan American Seed as we celebrate a 75th anniversary of the company. Um, let's let's shift gears directly into Pan American um, as we talk about this milestone, because 75 years really is a long time uh, for a company to be in business, especially in our industry where um, dynamics change and there's been a lot of consolidation and, and, and change in the industry at large over all the years, yet Pan American Seed continues to um, innovate and and 
meet all sorts of needs of the industry, um, even after 75 years. So can you talk a little bit about the company? And I know it's tough to distill 75 years down into, uh, into one talking point in a conversation, but can you talk a little bit about the timeline in, in a few minutes, um, just to, to give the listeners a little uh, a sense of how the company has, has changed over that, that 75 year time period? Sure. So um, the company was founded in 1947, and it was a, an independent company. I read a little bit of history about it um, because a, a few years ago, Ball celebrated their 100-year anniversary as, a, as an overall corporation, and they did a history book at that time. And there's a, a big chunk about Pan American in there. There's quite a bit of history. And uh, it was founded in Colorado. And there were three gentlemen who were involved with it. I don't think they all had the exact same ownership, but there were three different men involved with it. Um, one of whom was Charlie Weddle. And um, uh, over time, they sort of split off into different roles. And one of the other men was Claude Hope, who had founded a big farm in um, in Costa Rica, where he was producing seed for a variety of flower companies. And um, so uh, Ball actually bought the breeding entity of that group in 1962. So that's how long the corporate the Ball Corporation has owned it. And um uh that was the portion that Charlie Weddell had taken ownership and responsibility for. And um so it was it was a very small company at that time, just a handful of products. They did all their production. All their production was done in uh, Linda Vista by Claude Hope's company. When Once it was purchased by, um, by Ball, it was made a separate division of Pan American Seed. And then in 1981, uh, the corporation bought Linda Vista as well. So that's really the genesis of the whole company because I always describe Pan American Seed as a breeder producer. We Those are two of the major functions, the two major functions that we perform. We breed new varieties and we produce the seed. So th then we had both. We had a breeding entity and then we had the production entity. And then Linda Vista was... Um, be, it became part of Pan American Seed, so it became kind of its own separate entity, but all part of the same structure inside the company. And um, it's really grown from there. the The breeding entity moved first to Florida, and then it was eventually moved to Illinois. And so the first breeding station that uh, Pan American uh, established on our own the the florida location was something that had been there already but the first uh one that was built was in elburn illinois so that was our original breeding station which is very near to the company which is based in west chicago and so that was uh that was in the 60s when that happened and then the company's just grown th through a combination of internal growth 
and um, acquisition. We've made a lot of acquisitions of other smaller breeding companies or breeding lines from, we've, we've acquired a breeding line from a vegetable seed company that was doing it on the side. And um, we've, we've just um, added to the product line and we've established additional breeding stations. And now the company has seven breeding stations all around the world. So we've got three in the United States, one in Costa Rica, one in Holland, and one in uh, Denmark. And then we have four farms. So we established additional farms in other climates beyond Linda Vista. And um, so right now we're doing more than 80% of our own production, which is a very different thing. Most Flower seed companies do a lot of contract production, and we do some, but we do the lion's share uh, ourselves. And um, the our product line has grown from, I think, when Pan American was purchased by Ball in 1962, I think they had maybe three or four product lines, and now we have 150. So um, that's, that's how the internal growth has happened, and also um, the... Acquiring of new genetics, and that's actually, if you really think about it, fairly slow growth. You know, over the over over decades and decades, and probably very strategic growth, which is exciting to to hear from a company that's been around a long time. I mean, starting in forty seven, just after World War II, and then you know the the evolution over the years. But it it, it just strikes me that that it hasn't all happened in, you know, two decades or something like that. It's, it's been uh, a growth that's, um, that's been over a, a good period of time and, and probably leads to sustained growth and um, allowing a company to kind of grow, grow into itself because, you know, going from just a couple breeding stations up to seven around the world uh, takes a lot of, um, takes a lot of work, a lot of people, and and certainly a lot of uh, thought. So that it's kind of interesting uh, to, to hear that history and, and the growth over that period of time. And I think it also sets the stage, the story of Pan Am, 75 years that we're here to celebrate. And I guess bringing it back to a, a little bit of a personal level in, in your career at Pan American Seed, what have you seen that that supports this this growth mentality and and the current industry leadership of a company like Pan Am. What are what are some of the the factors that you think contribute to that? One of the things that that I think led to some a really substantial period of growth and maturity in the company um, occurred in the uh, starting in the uh, the late eighties and into the the nineteen nineties and. Um, I was actually with the company then, so I got to um, witness all of this happen. And um, I mentioned that we do almost all of our own seed production at our at our own controlled farm, so we have the ability to control all the processes, everything from the very first minute you plant uh, a, a parent plant through to harvesting the seed, and then all the post harvest and um, 
We also have invested quite heavily in all different things to enhance the, the performance of the seed. So uh, not only to make it easier for growers to handle, but to improve germination, reduce dormancy, things that will improve the uniformity overall. It really, uh, this was all geared toward a goal of having the highest seed quality possible. And at that time, plugs had really come into uh, the industry and it was becoming a pretty significant part. And you, the real growth period was during that time. And that really necessitated the need for um uh, 4C quality, because uh, before that, the the ways that growers would sow the seed, they it, they just did broadcast sowing. They would just, you know, take a flat and they would just, you know, pour in the seed by hand. And, and then they really didn't know how many seeds they sowed and they didn't know how many actually germinated. So they couldn't really count or track germination. And suddenly with plugs where you've got a single seed in a single small plant cell, then you can see at a glance what kind of germination performance you're getting. And I think at the seed quality in the industry overall was not that great at that time. And there really hadn't been very much effort put into making it uniform to germinate, which is very important to growers now, especially plug growers. And so through uh, making steady, um, consistent improvements at the farms in every process that we had really monitoring and measuring and um, trying to improve those processes, really uh, investing in the seed enhancement. And then also we put a lot of breeding effort into selecting varieties that would have good germination. And we, over a period of about a decade, we just slowly built the reputation of seed quality and Pan American became known as being, you know, very, very excellent quality producer and supplier of quality seed, which is, um, it remains very important to this day. And certainly many uh, others in the industry have put emphasis on it as well. And many have caught up to that standard, but we we still really try to push the boundaries and always set a new standard for a class. Like if we can move the germ standard from 85 to 90 or 90 to 95, we're, we try to push that boundary and, and consistently get the seed quality up. And then I would say if you couple that with really excellent genetics, which we're sort of known for that, people think of us now for the products that we bring to market. But the real thing that that I think made the company build a very strong foundation for growth was the, the effort to develop seed quality. And now we're working on doing that with a very broad range of crops. And and you're right. It's something that that I've heard from the the first days that I was you know was learning about Pan American seed was seed quality and how that um, benefits the the plug producers and and really uh, all the way throughout the industry because um, it it reduces shrink, it reduces losses, and really uh, takes seed to a very high tech science and when i learn about the different seed enhancements and 
and how each one has been developed over the years to truly benefit the growers that are using that seed. Um, I know it always reflects back very positively on Pan American and as well as the the genetics, uh, like like you said, the the varieties that Pan American introduces are are very thoughtfully uh, produced and released and tend to solve problems um, for for growers. And it's you know it's one of those things that's always uh, keeping the grower in mind um, whenever I hear a, a new launch of a product or a process from Pan American Seed. Over the years, and and with your you know your your in depth knowledge of, of Pan American seed, and also the industry as a whole, what are what is the biggest obstacle or some of the biggest obstacles that you've seen our industry overcome, or have seen Pan Americans leadership help an industry overcome? And then what have we learned from it? And I guess if you want to also look at the flip side, what what are some issues that the industry uh, hasn't figured out yet that that we need to uh, work on or or it could hold us back in the future? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So I mentioned about uh, germination and the importance of that and then the quality of the genetics. But another aspect of seed that is extremely important to everyone in the chain in the whole industry is the reliable delivery of that seed. So you can have really high quality seed and you can have a really great product, but if the seed arrives three months late from when the grower needs to sow it, it's not helpful. When I started working with Pan American Seed back in the HR era, uh, I remember that uh, the the various farms that we worked with at that time, some of, the, some of them were contract and some were our own, they would give us the date of when they were going to deliver the seed. So we would order, you know, 1 million seed of this and they would tell you, okay, we're going to deliver it after harvest. (laughs) That was was the delivery date. So that could literally be any time, you know, we knew roughly, you know, within a few months when that might be, but um, you know, that, that, very quickly became not good enough. We we as a as a supplier needed to have better information, and our customers certainly did. And over time, as as the the big box retail sector has become a more important part of the industry, you know they're often running ads on certain dates that are advertising certain products and that product better be in the store and or the grower really has a problem and then if we haven't delivered the seed then it's our problem so um that is a very important thing and it's not as easy to predict that in seed as you might think there are a lot of factors that can change things you know the weather can delay a harvest. It can delay flowering of the plants. It can delay pollen being made in sufficient quantities. There are many things that um, are difficult to predict. But you know, we've uh, over time we've built more and more environmental controls into a lot of the greenhouses at our farms to be able to control more of those variables. And we've gotten much better records and we know better, you know, how long something is going to take. And then we can predict the date that we're supposed to receive the seed. And then we can tell our customers and we're not perfect at all. 
you know, I, I guarantee you every single year we don't deliver some things on time. We, we don't deliver some things at all, you know, with the number of genetics that we have in our assortment, you're going to have crop failures. There are these biological elements at play. Some of our crops, most of them are F1 hybrids. Some are open pollinated, which means they're grown in fields. You know, we've had things where birds came in and ate a lot of the seed. You know, you can have a windstorm that blows all the plants over. There's all kinds of things you can do that are out of your control and you you don't get the seed. But we have made a very, we as well as our competitors in the industry have made a, a very systematic effort at improving this. And we're much, much better as an industry. Still room to go, but uh, it's way better than it was. So what that and and I think that when you think about how important that is to Pan Americans customers, it it's clear that that kind of a goal that that's been in place from since very early on is is important and leads to the growth and leadership of the company. I, I definitely hear each year about some issues, but for the most part, the the reliability of seed coming from Pan American is is phenomenal, and, and you always hear about it, um, kind of as an industry standard that a lot of companies are working toward as well. Um, but certainly nothing that Pan American's resting on its laurels. I, I every every year I hear that attention to that, and it's always a, a a corporate goal. So that's that's exciting, and you know, like like you talked about the improvements in germination and the genetic quality and the reliable delivery all sort of work together. as as pieces of the puzzle so what what are some things we haven't figured out yet i mean not going to be perfect in in some of those things but what about any other big picture issues that you think our industry really uh is continues to be challenged with that um that that we need to improve yeah so i can think of two things that have been sort of challenges and they both revolve around sustainability Mm. so one of them is Um, that we're seeing more and more pressure from government entities, from environmental groups, just in general, from the industry uh, and consumers to reduce the use of chemicals in production. This is especially pronounced and is more advanced in Europe than it is in North America, but it's already coming you you can see that the trend is going to exist everywhere in the world at some point. One of the, the there a lot of chemicals such as you know pesticides and herbicides and many of those have been really severely restricted or even banned in certain countries. Um, and PGRs is another one that is very commonly used, very necessary for a number of crops. It's something that in Europe, especially, there are very few PGRs that are still allowable. So uh, that's a challenge. If you talk to growers, especially in Europe, uh, they will tell you that they need much more compact plants. And that is an obvious answer. And that could be done in many cases. But the problem is when you make them genetically compact, they're compact and they stay compact. And then 
you know, you, you're not going to get that performance that the consumer or the landscaper really needs and, and wants in a plant. And so trying to find that balance between making products that can be grown sustainably and yet still have that kind of consumer landscape performance that everybody wants is, is a, a challenge that nobody's, everybody, I think, Many are working on it, but I don't know that anybody's really solved it yet. I know we haven't. We we discuss it a lot and we really haven't solved it. And the other one is the industry uses a lot of plastics the whole way through the chain from plug trays to all the pots and the baskets and the flats and I know just myself, after I've planted my spring plants, I just have this giant container full of plastic. And um, there are some options to recycle, but it's not easy for everybody and not all consumers have access to that. There have been a lot of efforts over the years to come up with a solution to this. I know at Ball, we have tried a few different things. I know a number of other companies have tried a number of different strategies. And one of them is a biodegradable pot. But one of the challenges is because it's a live product that you're selling and you have to care for it, you still have to water it. You know, even if it hasn't sold through retail yet, you have to still water it. And then it starts to biodegrade on the shelf. And then, you know, the consumer picks it up and it falls apart. And if you, if you make it less biodegradable, then it, it takes years and years to biodegrade. So that's just an example of something that um, has been a challenge. I think eventually the industry will solve it. But I think it's a really important one for us to tackle because I can't imagine there's going to be increasing pressure on all of us to reduce the use of plastics. I, I completely agree. I think we are, you know, by nature, a green industry, but we do have some some pretty glaring challenges that could find their way into the spotlight. Thankfully, we are working on a lot of these things. I know that you know, nobody, nobody really wants to use more chemicals. I think that the some of the broad spectrum uh, chemistries that have been introduced, and and certainly biologicals and and more sustainable, softer options are coming to the forefront right now, um, which is exciting from from many different uh, manufacturers and and growers are starting to understand how to use these products. I do think that the future is is bright for a lot of the the more sustainable approaches. Plastic, on the other hand, seems to be one that we have really not figured out yet. And and you're right. At the end of spring, consumers are left with piles of plastic. Greenhouses are left with piles of plastic. And um, there's there's got to be a a solution. And I know that there are companies working on that. That one to me is going to be a much more long-term thing to figure out because, uh, yeah, it really could could start to, to make its way into the media and we then we'll need to really figure it out quick. But thankfully, there are um, other countries around the world that are that are much more sensitive to this issue from all sorts of regulatory reasons and and we are moving in the right direction but i agree those are two challenges our industry really needs to uh really figure out and i do think also along those lines there's 
a lot of research being done and it's something that some of the new new folks coming into our industry are very conscious of and are starting to uh, really make it a priority within some of the university research and, and, and um, corporate research that's going on.